Ghouls. Happy Hump Day and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hello, my spooky babes, and welcome to another episode of Girlfriends. As always, I'm joined by my best girl, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Have your feet recovered from our trip away? Yes. Oh, my God. Lucy and I were in Newcastle at the weekend seeing Dragula live, and it was so good. But we walked the length and breadth of the city, like both the Friday and the Saturday and my feet were in agony I brought these heel boots because I was like oh they're cute they're comfy no like <laughs> they were not doing their like 20,000 steps we were doing each day like they couldn't cope with them and neither could my poor wee tootsies you should see my step count now because it was so high over those days and it's just gone right down <laughs> I know it's so bad isn't it like I say to people at work and they're like, how can you not go outside? But like on the days that I'm not looking after my sister's dog, my steps is like, are like 300. (laughs) It's like, I've got, I've got quite a big flat, but it's not going to go above a thousand just between walking from my office to the kitchen to make myself more coffee and then to the toilet for my 500 peas a day. (laughs) Every little step counts, babes. Exactly. So, um, yeah, we went to see Dragula live on Friday and it was so good. Um, I believe as of recording, I think they're about halfway through the UK tour. So if you happen to listen to this and there's still some shows left in the UK, definitely grab yourself a ticket. If you were a fan of the show, it's like very, the, the live show is very much a love letter to the fans who watched the show on Shudder. It's very referential to what happened in the show. They like reference challenges or like winning costumes and things like that. So it's very much bringing what you saw on TV to life. And well, the bullies said it themselves. It's like it's a thank you to us because we made it. Not me and Lucy specifically. But to us, the fans who made it like the most streamed show on Shudder and got it greenlit for another season. It's been the best and biggest season yet. And they just kind of wanted to give thanks to us. And I think they do a really good job of it with the show. Um, Yeah. Do you agree? I'm in total agreement. I don't want to say too much because I really don't want to spoil it for folk. Like, you've been really good. Like, up until the show, you weren't looking at any of the Insta stories because you didn't want to see anything. But no, I've like, I've ruined it before with like drag shows that are touring. And it's just like, oh, like you just go on all the like the drag artist stories. But 
an older wiser now and I learned <laughs> so I didn't do that I wanted to like go in with fresh eyes and it was it was absolutely fantastic everybody did an amazing job the bullies performed as well um, yes I know a lot of people might not expect them to perform but they did and they were also amazing as well there's a reason why they judged that show and like the music for each of the performances was a fucking 10 out of 10 so good I didn't not, not realize I needed or a heavy metal version of Call Me By Your Name. Oh, the hottest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It was just I, I can't I can't cope, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Like I'm like, does little Naz know? Like you need to hear this. It's really good. Um, and if anyone didn't see on Twitter. Um, like absolutely amazing. The Boulets gave girlfriends a shout out right at the start of the show. They I know pointed us out. I know. I'd like they said girlfriends, and then they were like, "Are Lindsay and Lucy here?" I'm like, knee. I'd like all honestly almost collapsed. Like I could feel my knees shaking. I was like, "How? How does like goth mom and dad know who I am? <laughs> like this is so weird." But um, yeah, we let them know that we were going to be in Newcastle so yeah they shouted us up I we gave them a wee wave uh, and next time I will actually buy me Greek tickets because <laughs> I have heavy regrets for not doing that <laughs> I know but next time next, next time. time yes uh, it was so funny because me being the little short arse and bless you because you were trying to get me into a space so I could see when they shouted I was like jumping up like over here <laughs> I know I'm normally like hate being the center of attention it's like as soon as they said my name like my hand went up I'm like hiya <laughs> I'm over here <laughs> but yeah Newcastle as a city as well was great like I had a really good time so we'll definitely be back at some point yeah, definitely. I'd like I said to you, I'm like already planning my trip back. I I don't know if there's anything else for us to say about that. I don't want to spoil it for folk, but no go, go see it. I was just having a giggle to myself like earlier, just thinking about it, because I already have like five inches on you, and then I was wearing my heel boots as well. So it's just like <laughs> I would be like Ah, like screaming which is like what <laughs> it's like the delayed reaction every time because I could see everything before me. <laughs> the best thing though was the night after when we went out for dinner and you had your dress on and I was like because I put quite a bit of effort into the night I really liked my outfit for Dracula um I was like no I'm gonna go like more mask vibes for the next night and I was like we look like a couple yeah <laughs> And I think everyone in the restaurant thought we were a couple. <laughs> I know. And it was it was the waiter who was like, not trying to be offensive, but is it used to her looking for gay bar recommendations? So <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, Dan, come sit with us. <laughs> Walking stereotypes, but absolutely. Very much so. Um, so Let's get actually into this episode, (laughs) rather than reminiscing about the weekend. Um, So this week, after after we break, um, we are continuing our Women in Horror Celebration Month. Uh, This will be our last Women in Horror Celebration Month, but celebrate women all year round, people, because we deserve it. 
Um, and we are going to look at our favourite final girls. Um, so, Lucy, what film, what final girl did you pick for this week? I think it would be, like, an actual crime if I didn't choose Ripley. <laughs> like, Ripley is my favourite final girl of all time, so it was a really easy choice for me, but I really went back and forth on which film to choose because Ripley's in the first four films of the Alien franchise, and most people... There's always a debate, and I'm, I'll be interested when we get into this, people are like, is Alien or Aliens better? And for me, it's like choosing your favourite child, <laughs> like choosing my favourite cat. Like, I love both of the films so much, but I chose Aliens in the end because I feel like Aliens really showcases Ripley as a final girl. Like, it's it's her in her truest form. She's such a badass. And actually, really recently, I wrote an editorial for Hear a Scream about like gender fluidity in horror and like being non-binary and I mentioned Ripley in that as well because Ripley is quite androgynous like in the way that she dresses and presents herself and you know I was talking about in the original um Ridley Scott wrote Ripley without having a gender actually wrote the entire cast without a gender because it's like it doesn't matter if they were men or women this is the character and I feel like you can really kind of see that in Ripley like Mm -hmm. even though she is a badass feminine woman she's also has masculine traits and in this film you kind of see her vulnerable side as well so yeah that's that's why I chose aliens and the goddess that is Ripley (laughs) um my choice not necessarily my favorite final girl but what I would call in my opinion the most underrated final girl so I went for Maddie and Hush um I think it's just in general like an underrated film. I think Maddie's very underrated. I literally just finished watching it like for the third time um, before we started recording and I'm just like I just I just think she's really well written. Like I really love her character. She's so smart and again it's like that vulnerability as well. There is points in this where you see in her that she's like I'm done for here but she somehow pulls it back every time and she's just I just feel like she's a character it's hard not to get behind her and like root for her um well at least in my opinion anyway. I was so glad you chose Hush because I don't think people think of Maddie when they think of final girls and it's a fucking shame because she is a final girl in her own right everything that she goes through in this film like as you said she is so smart and things like home invasion and stuff like that those types of films really terrify me and trying to think on your feet and I I I think she's just so underrated and this film is underrated as well it's an absolutely fantastic film so yeah I'm excited to talk about that absolutely so um with that all being said, uh, Lucy, do you want to take us through Aliens, first of all, then, please? Yes, let's get into the sci-fi-ness. Ooh. <laughs> Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Item E! Item E! Get on the ready line! 
The IMBD plot for Aliens is as follows. 57 years after surviving an apocalyptic attack aboard her space vessel by merciless space creatures, Officer Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the Predators. This film was released in 1986. The cast includes Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bain and Carrie Henn. This is directed by James Cameron. It's also written by James Cameron, David Geiler and Walter Hill. Um, so yeah, like I, I think it comes as no surprise. I've seen this film quite a few times. But Lindsay, had you seen Alien before and Aliens? Like, did you grow up watching them, or did you just watch it for the podcast? Or, um, so the first time I watched Aliens, I think I was in like my early to mid twenties, and I actually saw this first. And one of the things I do like about it, and I think this is very true of like any sequel like before 2010 um is that you don't really need to have seen alien to watch understand and enjoy this which i do appreciate as well and then i saw alien a bit later on but these are the only two films in the alien franchise unless you count alien versus predator which you should uh, yes <laughs> that i've seen <laughs> in the alien franchise and like with that because it is such a big debate between so many people do you prefer the sequel or do you prefer the original I actually prefer this one and I think it is because like you were saying at the start of that vulnerability of Ripley um I feel like at a certain point in time uh, especially in the 80s with second wave feminism like having equal rights was basically like women having to act like men and they wore like slightly more masculine clothes that's where you get the power suit from and cut their hair shorter and you have um you know characters like Linda Hamilton in Terminator who are like super duper buff and like can really just like throw punches with the men whereas I feel like now in third wave feminism you it's embracing your femininity and the power in that and those vulnerable moments that Ripley has in this with new and even like with the wee cat as well I feel like it makes her more human uh, to me anyway like more relatable um, you know because obviously this is like such a fantastical situation like it's hard to picture yourself being on a, a rocket ship with aliens and you know having been asleep for 57 years so these moments when you see her being a bit more vulnerable for me anyway like I see someone that I can connect with a bit more do you know what I mean 
Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And that's part of the reason why I prefer aliens. Only only ever so so just because <laughs> like I do love Alien and nobody can deny the universe and the characters that Ridley Ridley Scott has made. But and this isn't to say I'm a fan of James Cameron because I'm not, but he did a really good job with the sequel. And how many times do we see in horror sequels that don't don't do well? Um with Alien, I feel like it's more of a slow burn. And Aliens is much more action-packed. It's very reminiscent of 80s action films. Yeah, definitely. Although one thing I will say, I was shocked with this film. I don't think I'd ever, I'd maybe seen this like two or three times before. I've never accounted for how long this film actually is. I was like, when I put it on um, last night, I was like, this film is two hours and 20 minutes. And it doesn't feel it at all. Like it's very... You know, there's no, like, lulls, really. Every scene feels important. Like, there's a lot of, like, foreshadowing bits that are just, like, in conversation. It's like everything means something. And I appreciate that about it as well. Yeah, definitely. I always forget that this is a chunky boy of of a film. The original, I think, is, like, just under two hours. I think it's, like, an hour and 50-something. But, yeah, this is nearly two and a half. But with a film that's that long, it's very easy to get like you get on your phone and you get bored and you get distracted but I feel like like as you said every scene in this feels like it serves a purpose and it's important um it's annoying because there's a couple of scenes in this film that were cut that were really crucial and I feel like this is such a long film anyway James Cameron why don't you add them in but um we will we will get to them but yeah every character feels important all the scenes like it, it's it's fast paced. I feel like if this was a slow burn like Alien was with the length it is, it would get boring. But because mm-hmm. there's like there's action going on, but it's not action for action's sake. You know what I mean? Everything has a purpose to it. Yeah, definitely. Um as well, I feel like nowadays, well, probably even back then, like people are such big fans of things. Cause is the like original cut not like two hours and fifty minutes, something like that? just add it back in like let's see it and I also say as well um I must not know this in like any other version I watched but the version I was watching on Disney plus last night like it must be remastered or something because it's such like high quality you can like see their pores on their faces I was like wow this is shot really well and it's from the 80s but it's obviously remastered so whoever did that you did a good job I was paying attention <laughs> well done claps if you ever did <laughs> but on that note will we get into the plot <laughs> aye yeah so as we already mentioned this is a chunky film so I'm not going to go in scene by scene otherwise poor Lindsay will be here for about four hours but we will go over obviously the key points and Lindsay if there's anything you want to bring up where you're like oi you forgot that just just shout at me as you would anyway but (laughs) um so as we kind of as we mentioned this is 57 years after the original film and kind of as Lindsay already mentioned like even though I would encourage people to watch Alien you don't have to have watched it to watch Aliens it's not imperative to the plot in in our opinion um but yeah, this is following on 57 years after, and we see Ripley, who is the sole survivor on the um, Nostromo, which is the ship that we had in the original film, and she's in um, cryosleep. So as I mentioned, 57, year, 57 years after, um, 
and she's in cryo sleep to escape the the xenomorph which slaughtered the rest of, of the crew um she wakes up she's rescued by wayland yutani corporation um and she's debriefed by burke now what i love about this character is like he's a very stereotypical he almost gives like 80s salesman vibes straight away off the bat Lindsay, were you like nah this is sketchy vibes like absolutely not because ripley's sketchy from the start See, like the first time I watched this, I was like, no, like everything's fine here. <laughs> like now that I'm older, kind of understand how terrible capitalism is for the world, uh, a bit more world weary. I'm just like, he's a dodgy cunt from the start. And I think as well, like after you watch Avatar, because I feel like there's slight similarities here between like Avatar and Aliens with the whole greed aspect and just not really caring about life so that um some fat cat can make some money it's just like all the pieces clink together but the first time no I didn't get it and I was I was shocked shook it to your core shook it but this time I was like is that a bottle liar (laughs) (laughs) and also we have like our other favourite main character is the bloody main character, Jonesy the cat, and Jonesy's in the little pod as well with Ripley. Oh, I know. I was just thinking, just us, the two cat ladies, to pick two cat lady final girls. Oh my god, yeah, I didn't even clock that. <laughs> I did it. I was thinking about like Ripley, but I completely forgot about the cat, cat and hush. And I was like, oh my god, we're such stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So as we mentioned, she meets Burke straight off. Um, he breaks this news to her. Ripley doesn't realise that she's been asleep for this long. It's like, oh, it's been 57 years. I uh, never fucking understand this shit in movies. It's like there's no way in hell that some like absolute rando is going to be the one to break this news to you. It's like, I just keep thinking of like GDPR, like <laughs> this shit wouldn't happen. It's certainly not in the UK. I don't know what the data protection rules are in the US or indeed in space uh, where they are in this film. But uh, yeah, that would not fly with G- GDPR. That would not be happening in the UK or Europe. No, not at all. Um, and before we get into the next bit, there's a scene which I saw in the version I watched. I don't know if you saw it in yours, but in the original, it's cut. And Sigourney Weaver was severely pissed off about this. And I agree with her, to be honest. So there's a scene after this where Ripley like reveals that she's a mum, that she had a kid um, called Amanda, Amanda Ripley. And obviously it's been 57 years since she's been asleep. So she finds out that her daughter's died. She died when she was like 60, but they show a photo and the photo is actually Sigourney Weaver's mum. But Sigourney Weaver argues, like, cutting that scene, and I agree, it's so crucial to, like, who Ripley is as a person, especially when she meets Newt later on and has that, like, motherly instinct. I d- did you get that scene, or was it cut from the one you watched? Um, certainly it was cut from the one that I watched. Like, I, I've never even heard of that before, but, yeah, no wonder, like, it because it does make sense for why she is so protective of Newt, because you would think that like army type people would maybe be a bit more like logical about the situation but she's like no like we're looking after this kid she keeps the kid with her at all times like she wants to make sure this kid is safe and of course that makes sense if 
she is a mum who has lost a child like that would make perfect sense of to why she did that but of course some silly man would think that was not unimportant and cut it out yes so if anyone's gonna watch aliens try try and find a version with this scene because or if you don't just keep this in mind because i feel like it's a really important element of ripley's character and like little lore as well there's the video game alien isolation which Lindsay, i will get you to play at some point because it's the most terrifying game of all time like it oh it's so scary (laughs) um but that video game is based on amanda so it's like in between alien and alien so i think she's like in her 30s or something like that um so it's nice to have that in the game but yeah like it was like a minute a minute scene that they cut out so i just wanted to start off with that (laughs) but anyway we have what would have been that scene and then there's like an inquest before a panel of executives and again this is very 80s business suit vibes and ripley's telling the testimonial of the xenomorph and the destruction of the ship um but they basically gaslight her and they're like you know what there's no physical evidence that this creature was found so we don't believe you um and it's all men on the boardroom isn't it yeah that fucking pissed me off as well it's like why would she make the up? but it fucking annoys me knowing what you know later on and it's just like so you knew she was telling the truth the whole fucking time and you just didn't care it's just greed greed and money and shit men yep <laughs> This could have been part of another episode we're doing in a little bit about about men and horror, actually. Just thinking about that now. This is very true. Have you never seen that meme when it's like, um, some guy is like, my my wife doesn't ever, he's like a film reviewer and he's like, my wife never really reviews films or like takes much interest in them, but then reviewed Aliens and it was like, um, smart, there's a smart lady with a cat and nobody listens to her and she was right the whole time four out of five stars it's like that is aliens <laughs> a smart lady with a cat and no one fucking listens to her basically us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to say, that, that is like t- too long didn't read review of aliens like that yeah can't can't sum it up any better than that <laughs> um so after this um ripley uh, loses her space flight license and learns that lv426 the planetoid where her crew first encountered the alien eggs is now home to a terraforming colony um we mentioned about burke before um he offers to restore ripley's flight status and pick her up on a contract if she'll accompany them as a consultant um she's obviously very traumatized after everything that happens like Ripley does deal with a lot of PTSD in this film and she initially refuses Burke and is like get the fuck which totally understandable um but she then you know reflects on it and changes her mind decides to join them and Burke assures her there's gonna be no attempt to study the xenomorphs or any creatures they're gonna be destroyed don't listen (laughs) don't listen to that man (laughs) um and then they aboard the warship um, Sulaco. So Ripley is induced to the Marine Squad. So with Aliens as well, we have like a bigger crew. There's quite a lot of people here. We have Hicks, we have Apone, there's Hudson, there's uh, Vasquez, um, 
is there anyone in the crew that you meet at this point that you're like I like you or anyone that like stands out for you um so <laughs> I love it when a poem like you know what when they all come out of cryosleep and then a poem just gets a cigar I'm like where the fuck <laughs> was that cigar like did you or you just hold it in your hands for this very cool moment um I love um Vi- what's her name Vasquez Vasquez yeah um I know she's very much that like kind of second wave feminist stereotype that we were talking about there but there's something really like charming like charismatic about her and the way she's like so sarcastic and stuff as well she just makes me laugh um Hudson Bill Paxton not making much of an impact right now but whenever I think about this film it's Bill Paxton going it's game over man (laughs) like that's that's the thing that pops into my head um every single time and again like Hicks not making much of an impression at this moment but like later on I love the kind of little bit of flanter that him and Ripley have later on Mm. in the film um because again I don't think Ripley is ever thought of like maybe by fans but like within the film as like someone who is like a romantic or sexual person it's just like women have that side of them and they should be allowed to explore that and I kind of like that it's like touched on a little bit here yeah exactly um the thing I like about this um crew as well as like everybody has their own individual identities I was just thinking back to um oh see this is so bad guys like when you review so many films you forget what you've watched uh what film was it we watched recently it was the sci-fi one for b-movies it was the one where there was like 50 fucking oh the thing from another world yeah it was like 400 fucking name (laughs) characters who all speak to each other (laughs) just like what the hell is going on yeah so it's like it was just reminding me of that where we've got a relatively big crew but it's not too much and everyone has their own distinct personalities and like everyone's pretty likable in one way or another um opponent with the cigar is just like my kind of energy fucking loved that right from the start Vasquez like horror haughty I'm sorry but like and I, oh I, I was I, she I was reminded me of like uh, of daddy from um Orange is the New Black. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, Lucy, stop yourself. Like, <laughs> <found that. laughs> um, and then we also meet um, Bishop, who's um, the android of the group. And like one thing, like if you if you hadn't watched the original, um, Ripley is like initially really hostile towards Bishop because she had a really shitty situation with um, an android in the first film, which was Ash. But Bishop's, like, low-key a character that a lot of people love from Aliens, and I do as well. Like, I do really like the character art. What did you think of Bishop, and especially in comparison to Ash, if you can remember Ash from the first one? Yeah, I like, I like, like, Bishop and Ripley's kind of journey together throughout the film because, like you said before, like, she clearly has some kind of PTSD and it actually made me kind of curious watching this again, like what people knew about PTSD in the mid-80s um to kind of like represent that but um I like I like the journey that they go on because you do wonder like is he trustworthy like you're kind of with Ripley at the start like is he trustworthy because she's just so 
like on the back foot already like something's really dodgy here and I think on a first watch you're not really expecting it to be Burke you are probably expecting it to be Bishop um but yeah I like their I like their little journey together in this film yeah it's a really it's a it's a it's a really nice kind of journey that they have um and it just kind of makes the scene that we'll see a little bit later that much like a little bit more heartbreaking um just a little bit of trivia just because I remembered they didn't film like as they do with a lot of films right they don't film things in sequence but this like initial setup scene was the um last thing that they ever shot because James Cameron wanted like they all had like a really good banter between them because they've been working together for months like the marines so he wanted that energy and I feel like you get that from that scene you know they all feel like actual pals don't they yeah there is like a really good chemistry between them all um like I love um Vasquez and um oh god what's his name he's like the blonde one. Oh, is that Hudson no is that- no Hudson's Bill Paxton it must be Hicks then no Hicks is the one that has Flanter with Ripley. Oh. There's another one. I just can't fucking remember his name. But like Vasquez and him have like such like a cheeky friendship. They're like doing pull-ups and stuff together. Oh, yeah. And like they're the ones who are like, no, like fuck it, we're gonna shoot our guns. And like they all work together so well. So yeah, you can definitely tell that perhaps it's maybe at the end when they've all had that chance to bond. Um, I know we talked about this scene a lot, but last thing before we go into the next one, because I feel like this is like an important bit, the bloody the knife game. Oh my fucking god, the anxiety of that! I used to do that as a kid as well. I I was deranged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where were you doing that shit for? Um, but it's so funny because it's very much you can tell it's like they have this like laddie kind of banter and stuff together, and like. Hudson's like, ha, oh, let's do this thing. And then as soon as his hands put on it, he's just like, no. And I just find it so funny how it goes from like being completely game to like terrified. Cause it he hangs like in that feeling for a bit. He's like, oh, that was too much. Like <laughs> I was just like, you're so stupid. Like, shut sure. <laughs> Um, but then after this bit, they go on their mission. So reaching L4, LV846. They go on their exhibition and descend to the surface via dropship, um, where they find the colony damaged. It looks all abandoned. Um, and this is where we first see some alien life forms. So we have um, two living face huggers. And there's a scene in here as well where we get a chest bursting scene. It's the only chest bursting scene that we have in this. Um, but what did you think of this and the face huggers? Because, the, I mean, the face huggers are basically alien genitals like especially in this film like it's like you know when they're on the the mirror and stuff but they are very creepy yeah there's like it's not one point where someone like taps a glass and then it just it jumps and I jump clean right out my skin it's just oh horrible um just to kind of circle back very slightly the guy the lieutenant in this um like I love to watch his character in this as well because he's so completely not really fucking out of his depth and it's like that bit in the ship where he's like oh this this is my second drop ever and it oh, kind yeah. of shows like how little care 
like the company or whoever it is that runs this fucking shit show put into this that this is actually like such an important mission Ripley's like basically shouting from the rooftops about how dangerous this fucking is and they send someone so inexperienced to be the leader and he completely freaks out as soon as the slightest thing goes wrong uh, like in here you can just see like all the beads of sweat coming off him and everything he's just completely out of his depth and like as soon as we see the aliens and you know the crew don't trust him because he's so inexperienced so they're not listening to anything he says and it just goes from like bad to worse in such a short space of time no, that's a very important thing to point out because it just shows the corporation's like lack of care. They literally don't give a shit. They've put somebody on that's so inexperienced. Like, I mean, as you see, there's live face huggers there. Like, who knows what else could be there putting the crew in danger and they just don't care. Um, there's so much anxiety in this bit. And especially mm. when you see the d- the dead crew members, like they're all like, you know ingrained into the wall and in, the, in all the alien gunk and stuff like that I thought the special effects in this bit was really good did you like that because obviously special effects is something that you're really into I do I, I love the special effects in this film I love how like gooey and everything that they are I just love how like realistic like the aliens are like if I didn't know any better I'd be like this is a documentary <laughs> about aliens <laughs> do you know what I mean like they're yeah. so well done um so after this bit um they don't encounter anybody else they assume the place is abandoned however Ripley notices something in the flooring and finds the only colonist left alive which is this traumatized young girl called Newt and she's we don't know how long she's been living there but for probably for a really long time she's like living underground she's like barely got the basic essentials and you can see that she's just this terrified girl and Ripley immediately is so like calm and caring towards her and really kind of takes her in um what did you think of Newt as a character and then like this interaction that she has with Ripley see the like the first couple of times I watched this I was like I hate Newt but I must be getting soft in my old age or something because like I I actually didn't mind her this time at all um like I thought she was fine like you because you you understand that like the the trauma that she's going through of being on her own um how really brave and stuff she must be as well to have like survived that long um because she will have been crawling about in all those little tunnels for weeks or even months maybe um, to deal with all that um, so that she can stay well and then um, yeah I love how like Ripley I was gonna say deals with her that's not the right word um, but like takes her in because you know not to sound like rude but Newt's a bit of a feral child at this point like she's you know she's not being looked after she's very much like out in the out in the wilderness of this um ship on her own dealing with herself so it takes someone with a lot of um patience and compassion to kind of get her from where we see her at the start of the film to the end of the film um and yeah like I I really love that about Ripley's character and the way they are together that they're able to do that together yeah exactly and that's why I feel like that first scene that they cut is so important 
for people to know that Ripley was a mother because I feel like if you knew that you you could I mean I, I I'd like to think I'd understand and if I saw a child like that I I would I mean I'm not motherly in any shape or form but I would obviously want to take them in and take care of them but it just kind of adds another element to it especially as she gets more protective of her as the film goes along um I suppose I'm getting a bit softer in my old age. I can see how she was a pain in the arse, <laughs> but looking at it now and like knowing the history, like Ripley's history especially, you can understand why she takes a liking to her so much. And as you said, she survived on her own that long. Like she has to be pretty bloody resourceful. Um, but we'll move on. The Marines determined that the rest of the colonists are cluttered in the nearby atmosphere processing station and this is where as I mentioned we find like a nest of bodies of the old colonists and they're like cocooned to the walls and use this hosts for more xenomorphs and um, there is a scene near here that's cut as well with eggs and like around xenomorphing I won't get into that too much because it does get kind of complicated but um we do get a little bit more of that in like later films as well um even though I don't necessarily recommend them, but Covenant and Prometheus kind of go into that a little bit, but there is a cut scene here as well when it comes to like the eggs and stuff. Um, I believe it's this bit anyway. Um, and then this is kind of where stuff starts to get really actiony. This is where the action starts to come in. So we have the creatures um, attacking or trying to kill most of the units. Um, Ripley commandeers the group and is able to rescue Hicks, Vasquez and Hudson. Um, Gorman is knocked unconscious during the rescue. Um, Hicks assumes command and orders the dropship to recover the survivors intending to return to their uh, previous location and destroy the colony site from orbit. Um, however, there's a stowaway we xenomorph kicking about and kills the dropship crew in flight and it causes the craft to crash into the atmosphere processor, destroying the strip, the ABC, and most of the Marines' equipment. And we have a couple deaths in this bit as well. So what did you think of this? Because this is when things just start going to utter shit, basically. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, like, it had been a while since I'd seen this. And like we said before, it's such a long film. So I'd completely forgotten about this part. And it's like... When the xenomorph, it just kind of like reveals itself in this like aircraft or whatever it is and just like kills the pilot. Again, I was like junk clean right out of my skin. Like I wasn't expecting it. And it's just so well done. Like the xenomorph is such an iconic looking design and it's like never aged a day. So just seeing it come out the shadows like that, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, after this bit, um, sorry if I'm skipping ahead a bit, folks, but as we say, there is a lot of plot to this. Um, the survivors barricade themselves inside the colony complex. Um, and this is where we find out about the snake that is Burke. Like, I feel like we need to have a nickname, something with B, Burke, the bastard Burke, something like that. <laughs> um, but basically, Ripley discovers that Burke, um, unintentionally triggered the destruction of the settlement because he ordered the colonists to investigate the spaceship where the Nostromo crew first encountered the xenomorph eggs acting on the testimony that she gave after being rescued so confronting him Burke reveals that he hopes to return the xenomorph species to the company laboratories 
where he can profit from their research. So it's basically greed in its ultimate form. They basically want to make a profit off the xenomorphs. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's capitalism, like, yeah. straight up the back, it happens. I feel like there was a lot of um, commentary being made on capitalism in the 80s. You know, we had Wall Street becoming very, very powerful. We had all these yuppies just getting more and more money. Everything was just money, money, money. And I feel like nowadays it's still like that. Like, when you think about everything that's going on in Ukraine, how we as a society as like a as as a world are trying to stop this is actually squeeze Russia out financially it really has nothing to do with trying to say hey maybe it's not a good idea to kill innocent people it's like no we're gonna bankrupt you if you don't stop doing this because that's all people care about and it's really fucking sad um you know we've seen in a pandemic like the poorest people get poorer but our billionaires of the world have got exceptionally richer over the past two years and it's just sad that it's still like that and Burke with all this knowledge they had about what these aliens will do he's still and some someday in this company will have known what he's doing as well has been like no like I'm gonna take them back um I think that's a good idea because I'll get a lot of money out of it and it's just it's frustrating and it's sad and it's disappointing and but it's also real life unfortunately yeah that's so true and it's like really eerie looking at this now obviously this is a film that's based in in the future uh, but it was filmed in the 80s and um, a lot of the themes that people come up with from aliens specifically is as we mentioned motherhood masculinity femininity and then there's also discussions on war and trauma so there's been quite a few people and I think Sigourney Weaver's mentioned this as well that aliens is kind of seen as um at the time there was the Vietnam War and there was, especially in the States, you know, there was this race to obtain secure weaponry and technology and lots of greed and kind of that's what aliens represents as well. And also like confronting trauma and obtaining closure. Um, But yeah, like even in the situation in the UK right now and like going back to our trip, I remember (laughs) because we're obviously like, um, not boring at all we were watching the news and I remember seeing like there's this uh, person in the UK called the money saving expert I can't remember his name off the top of my head but um, I think it was the most dire news thing I've seen in like a little while it's like we can't help the British public anymore like there's nothing I can offer people so if you don't know what's going on in the UK right now from April all of our taxes are going up petrol is at an all-time high electric's up and there's still no wealth tax. And MSPs have had like, I can't remember what pay, they've had a pay rise. They've all had a pay rise this year. So, hi. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I know the MPs are getting like 2.2K pay rise. It's something like 3, 3%, 3 point something percent. It's like, it's all right for them. Minimum wage never goes up that much though, does it? No, exactly. Um, we can only hope for the future. Maybe we should all just get a ship and fuck off somewhere, doing do a Ripley. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, 
<laughs> my retirement my retirement plan is a uh, societal collapse because <laughs> there's no, there's not gonna be society by the time I'm like 68, 70, however old I'm gonna be when I retire. <laughs> fuck pensions, fuck planning for the future, just the collapse of society and <laughs> communism. Um but anyway, um after we have um this reveal of bastard Burke being a piece of shit Ripley threatens to expose him but Bishop comes in and says like hey guys we have a greater danger going on right now um so there's the the atmosphere processor has been damaged and it's unstable and it's soon going to detonate with the force of a thermular nuclear weapon so he volunteers to use the Connolly's transmitter to pilot um the remaining dropship to the surface by remote control so that they have a chance to escape um, so as they wait for the dropship's arrival, Ripley and Newt fall asleep in the medical lab. They're having a wee snooze. They've obviously been through a hell of a lot. Um, waking to find themselves locked in the room with two face huggers, the two face huggers previously, which had been released from their tanks. So Ripley alerts the Marines who rescue them and kill the creatures. And Ripley accuses Burke of being responsible, suggesting that he was trying to kill her and impregnate Newt so that he could smuggled the implanted xenomorph embryos past the earth's quarantine so yeah like if a face hugger gets into you it can impregnate you and you can become a host of the xenomorph that's like kind of a tldr version of the lore of these aliens do you think burke did it i mean you wouldn't put it past them would you at this point no like i think he is depending on people thinking ripley is hysterical um to enact his plan I mean I don't obviously who probably wouldn't have known that Newt was like the only living person there so I don't know how much forethought was put into Newt being impregnated but he at that point in time was probably like yeah we'll get rid of her and impregnate the other one and that's how I'll get get them back because yeah there is a conversation at one point like how are you going to get this through um like bio customs or something and he's just like mm, I'll, ha- I'll find a way so I don't know like how much for planning pre-trip there was but yeah he was definitely up to something by the time they got there exactly um so the marines everybody that's left elect to execute Burke for his treachery absolutely valid um but before they can of course something has to happen so the electricity is suddenly cut off and we have multiple xenomorphs attacking through the ceiling. And this is where like the killing spree really starts because Gorman, Hudson, Vasquez, and Burke are all killed at this point. It's absolutely savage, isn't it? It is. Like, I am gutted that Burke like went out this way. I mean, like, he deserves to go out via a xenomorph, considering he was going to bring them back, but it's a little bit too quick and easy for me needed him to suffer yes needed to suffer he should have been impregnated yes (laughs) um is there any of the crew's deaths that you really liked or anyone you were really sad to see go oh i think i think it's more just because bill paxton is no longer with us anymore so we have no more opportunities to see his acting anymore but I, like I, I hurt me a little bit seeing him seeing him die um he was taken from us far too young um 
and this is definitely one of his like more memorable roles for me so yeah I was quite sad seeing him go in this he has so many good one-liners in this film as well see the first time I watched this like I just fucking hated him so much. He annoyed me <laughs> so much. And it, it was just like, it's just a whiny voice. But now it's like, I, I appreciate the, the, the comedic value in it. Um, I really enjoy it. So yeah, it was, it was hard seeing poor Bill Paxton bite the dust. Our sci-fi himbo, RIP. Yes. <laughs> um, so after we have all these deaths, um, Ripley and Hicks briefly managed to escape with Newt. Um, but Newt ends up being taken when they encounter more Xenomorphs, while Hicks ends up, like, severely wounded. Um, Ripley manages to get Hicks to the second dropship, um, but refuses to leave Newt behind, says, I'm not leaving this little girl, I'm going to go get her. Um, so she assembles this really fucking badass rifle slash flamethrower, and um, I actually have this tattooed on me. I have, like, a little, like, doll version of Ripley on my leg with the flamethrower, because, like, it's it's fucking cool um and she heads into the hive the the xenomorph hive station to rescue newt um and i really love these scenes when she's going into the dropship and we get the elevator scenes as well and she's like preparing herself for this because obviously there's a lot of ptsd behind this with what she faced before but you know she's thinking of somebody else before herself you know she's not thinking about her own safety she's thinking about newt and she's like i've got to save this kid um, and I think the acting from Sigourney Weaver in these scenes is just like top notch. Um, I don't know if you agree. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like seeing her get ready to face off with this thing that she's like actually quite clearly been very afraid of this whole time. Like everything she was so scared of happening is happening. But I was going to say if it wasn't for new, I don't know what her outcome would have been but I don't know like do you think if do you think it it would have been different if there was no new do you think she would have just succumbed to it or do you think that she is so strong she would have got through this regardless I like to think she's because she's so strong she would have gotten through this but also part of me thinks like at this point especially with all like so many of her crew um having died like it sounds really sad but it's like what she got to live for if you know Mm. what I mean there's not besides like Hicks and Bishop like there isn't really anyone else so I I I actually don't know I like to think she would have continued because like she's one of those people's like I'll fight till the end but it could kind of go either way really couldn't it Mm. curious that just occurred to me right now I'm like "Hmm, I wonder what would have happened if there was no newt um, but, um, yeah I love seeing her just like getting ready to battle for this little kid because like I feel like a lot of people would just be like it's a little kid just leave it behind but she's just like no this is a life and like you say she's seen so much death that she wants to give this child a chance at life um so yeah um so after this bit she ends up finding Newt um and this is when they encounter the big mama the xenomorph queen in her egg chamber um ripley destroys the eggs so obviously this enrages the queen who tears herself off from her um it's called an oviposter but this thing that like connects her like to everything in the room and we have like a chase sequence it's 
happening and this bit I feel like kind of takes you back to the original alien where it's it's kind of a slow burn there's a lot of tension in these bits when the xenomorphs like creeping around the corners and stuff like um I think these scenes are done really well um but we also have like Bishop here who you know Ripley has been so like suspicious of and like slowly starts like like warming up to Bishop and Bishop like even though he's an android he tries to sacrifice himself for Ripley he's like tries to save her and Newt um because like they have this chase with the xenomorph queen and then they get to this bit where we think oh no they're done for um but Bishop puts himself in front of them and gets impaled and torn in half I really really like this scene actually what do you think of this because like and it, there's no blood. It's like this kind of milky consistency because he's an android, but it's still creepy. I know. I hate his like white blood weird shit. I don't like it. <laughs> um, but no, it is really good. Like, of course, Bishop Bishop tells um, Ripley that like Burke is the one who wants to bring them back. She's like, you need to destroy these things. And he's like, no, I can't. Burke, Burke said that. I can't do that. Um and the way he sacrifices himself for Ripley and you, like, I hope that this has shown her that, like, not all androids aren't to be trusted. Um, because he's he was such an asset on that trip. He, like, he just went and, and did everything, didn't he? Yeah, I think it, it it's so nice to have such a different android compared to the murderous Ash that we had in Alien. It, like, in Aliens, Bishop's just trying to look out for everyone and see the good in people. Yeah. And he's just a, a very likable character. So, yeah, thinking of others before himself. Um, the Queen advances on Newt, but then we get this, like, probably the most iconic line and the most iconic scene in Aliens, um, where Ripley puts on this, like, exosuit, which we see her in, like, earlier in the film when she's trying it on, and she has the, the line where she says get away from her you bitch <laughs> were you like saying that as she was because I was when I was watching it I know it's such an iconic line like I feel like everybody knows that line and sometimes like those kind of lines can be so cheesy but I think it's because so many people try to like copy like what Ripley did in this film and like other iconic lines that because they cannot compare to this delivery it just comes off as cheesy, but this like really doesn't. This is just great. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Ripley faces off with the Queen Xenomorph um, and she manages to get into an airlock where she opens it, expelling the Queen into space. So off she goes. Um, and Ripley manages to make it to safety whilst Bishop saves Newt from being sucked out after the Queen from the airlock. Even though he's cut in half, he's still trying to help out, and he does. He he saves Newt, um, earning Ripley's admiration. After that, she's like, you know what? You're actually sound. Um, so after this, Ripley helps Hick and Bishop into hypersleep before putting herself and Newt into hypersleep, getting ready for the return journey to Earth. And that is the film. What did you think of the the ending? Obviously, it is kind of setting you up for the next one. Um, but were you satisfied with it? Yeah, I mean, I think 
after everything that the pair of them have been through together. I mean, obviously you would like to have more of them to survive, but these two going into hypersleep, hopefully going back home to somewhere safe. I know that isn't what actually happens, but um, yeah, that, like that's exactly what you want for these two characters. <laughs> Is there yeah. not like a massive time jump between two and three? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's over 100 years. Let me double check just now so I know. How far ahead is it? Because it, it was in 92. Yeah. Um, how far ahead is it? Give They're all second. on Disney+. Plus. I should just, like, binge the whole series over a weekend or something. But I've heard three and four are so bad. I don't know if I want to. But we're not a rider. Mm. Winona Ryder's in the third one and I like her I can't see the exact time jump but it is a, it is a big time jump three is good, four is dog shit oh really uh, well, <laughs> I say three, I mean three is nowhere near as good as Alien and Aliens but it's still alright Yeah. Um, and then you obviously have after that Prometheus and Covenant as well and there's another one Um. I, I kind of stopped after those two. And it, it they're by Ridley Scott. I don't know if you've seen either of those. Like, there's some people that like them, but they're... Well, I'd be curious if you watch them. Um, they're just not for me. But um, there's been some hubbub about Alien being turned into a TV series, actually. Yes, um, I saw that semi-recently. Um, like, people are really crossing their fingers that this is, like goes back to the time of like alien and aliens because you know the alien franchise has never been as good as its first two entries unfortunately yeah i i do have high hopes for it because i mean we just had the chucky series recently and that was fucking amazing the chucky series was so good i really wasn't sure if it was going to be good or not but it's actually so much fun um there's a couple i know i've mentioned some trivia there's a couple little bits of trivia i just want to finish off with um Bill Paxton I thought this was really sweet he continually apologized to Carrie Henn who plays Newt throughout filming because Hudson would swear in front of her and he would always say I'm sorry Carrie I thought that was so sweet and she would say like I don't mind I didn't know what any of the words meant I'm too young (laughs) bless um According to Bill Paxton as well he actually improvised most of his lines including game over man um that's improvised yeah oh my god that's so cool and the other one as well as the we're on an express elevator to hell going <laughs> down <laughs> um Sigourney Weaver had an Oscar nomination for this film as well but she didn't get it um I personally feel like they should have got more Oscar noms in that they should have had one for like score or costume or makeup but What's it's it horror if- I should have done my research before this. Did the first one not have like seven Oscar noms? Something along those lines, I think. Um, another thing as well. So obviously the original was directed by Ridley Scott and James Cameron took over this one. So he had a lot to live up to because there was also quite a big time difference between these. So like Aliens is like 1986, I think. Aliens 1979. So there was a bit of time. Um, and there was a lot of hype around the original and a lot of people were fiercely loyal to Ridley Scott um, including the crew so 
in order to try and convince them that he had talent and skills for the job, he arranged a screening of the Terminator for everyone on set to say, hey, I know how to do the thing. Um, but apparently a lot of them didn't show up. Well, actually, that was a, another thing Like I heard about the making of this film because they filmed it in England. Like, at one point, England was just like the place to film films. And the crew, as our, us Brits do like like a cup of tea and they like to have a cup of tea at 10 o'clock and they like to have a cup of tea at two o'clock but um James Cameron did not fucking like this practice at all um he was just he didn't understand why people just didn't want to work sorry Kim K he just wanted (laughs) people just to work and work and work and not have a tea break um but because like filming in England was so like lucrative if um James Cameron was like, well, I'm just going to find a new crew. They were like, no, you fucking won't, because we'll tell everyone not to work with you. And um, and there would always be another project for these people to, like, just jump onto. Um, so apparently, like, the relationship between the crew and James Cameron was not good at all. Um, but it's like, why did you not fucking let them have their tea breaks? 15 minutes to have a cup of tea, half an hour out your fucking day let them have a cup of tea man I just I kind of made me really not like him I already think he's a bit up his own arse I'm... but um yeah I heard that and I was just like nah I, I side with the people let the people have a cup of tea exactly it's part of our culture Christ I know I just feel like as well it says a lot about like American work practices and stuff like I feel like you you only get what like 14 days off or something in the US there's no mat leave there's no parental leave and I'm just like this is crazy like the UK is a fucking shithole but I mean at least we got our holidays yeah I mean even our standard holidays which are what 28 that's like that's unheard of in the states um and as shite as our NHS is we still have an NHS and don't have to fork out like two grand for an ambulance if we need it so yeah this is true yeah so I thought that was I thought that was quite funny but I was like James Cameron seems like a prick like I'm just gonna he thinks Avatar is like the greatest thing since sliced bread and like the sequel's meant to be coming out any second now like I don't I really actually couldn't care less does anybody actually care about this film it's coming out like about 10 years too late it's gonna come out and I'll be like unless it cures my depression clears my acne (laughs) pays my rent and um like cleans my house for me I actually don't give a shit how long has he been fucking talking about this sequel though like it's the boy who cried wolf like Avatar came out like when I was in high school it must have come out like 12 years ago minimum yeah I remember seeing that in the cinema as well you know and I was getting such like stiff legs because it's such a fucking long film yeah yeah just not good not impressed no no impressed (laughs) Uh, on that note, is there anything else, Lindsay, you want us to mention or trivia? Any more tea to spill before we get into the ratings in the box office? I feel like I have to mention like the most, the, like the absolute worst piece of dialogue I've ever heard in my life, which is in this film. Oh Do God, you, go on then. When Newt says they mostly come out at night, mostly. Like whoever wrote that, whoever <laughs> approved that, whoever was like. <laughs> editing this film I was like we'll keep that you saw <laughs> the electric chair like 
I like it cringes me out every single time and I fucking love it when um like they do it on like South Park like folk reference that and like make fun of it but it cringes me out every single time I hear it like it's not the real ass's fault really but that annoys she, me. she quit acting after that as well poor head maybe that put her off after she's like know. nah well she probably got like so much stick for it because her accent's a little bit all over the place as well like I think she has like an American and a British parent or she was like American born raised in Britain or something like her accent's all over the place and yeah having like cringy lines like that oh my god it's giving GCSE drama yeah (laughs) very much so uh right then on that note we'll get to box office and ratings so the um, budget for this film, as you can imagine, it had a big hefty budget, but actually I kind of thought it might have been more than this, um, considering that we have a lot more crew on this, there's a lot more kind of set design to Aliens and Alien, but it was an $18.5 million budget and it made $131 million at the box office. So it's one of the bigger ones. I know Black Swan, um, our last episode, like I think it was higher than this, but this was obviously a massive, a massive success. Um, in terms of ratings, very happy to say this is quite high. So IMBD gave it an 8.4 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, the Cricks gave it a 97. The Cricks finally get it right. Um, and the audience gave it a 94. And then Metacritic gave it an 84 as well. But I don't care about any of them. I care what you have to say, Lindsay. What are you going to give Aliens out of 10? Um, just before that, I just looked it up very quickly there. 18.5 million is 47.9 million in 2022 money. Oh, so okay. really, like, I still feel like that's quite a low budget for a film like this, but yeah, a lot more than you thought. But anyway, um, I am going to give this film a 9 out of 10. Uh, like... It's so hard not to love this film. I think if someone was like, I hate aliens, I would just think they're one of those like cynical people who just hate on things that everybody loves because there's so much to love about this film and there's so much to love about Ripley. There is a reason why she is like a character in film in film in pop culture that is standing the test of time. It's because she's so well written, she's so relatable, she's someone it's so easy to get behind like you root for her you want her to win and like I feel like we'll never get another Ripley like I feel like the Alien franchise is just continually trying to get back to like the heyday of Ripley and it's like I feel like Ripley was a moment in time but is also timeless um and I can't see any like I can't see another another Ripley anytime soon because she's just so great it's just she's like gold dust you know what I mean so yeah very good choice Lucy for our favorite final girls well thank you we're still friends I'm glad you (laughs) gave that rating um but yeah it'll come to no surprise that I'm going to give aliens a 10 out of 10 um if I was going to give Alien one, it'd probably be like a 9.8 or something like that. But no, I love this film. It's like not only one of my favourite horror films, but it's just one of my favourite films of all time. Kind of as I've mentioned before, I'm not a big franchise kind of person, but this and Evil Dead, like I have so much nostalgia for both of those franchises. 
I feel like this is like the perfect combination of science fiction and horror and like you said Ripley is like a final girl that we're never going to get again and I'm not saying that in a bad way it's just she's so unique that she's also a queer icon as I said like she's androgynous but she's also feminine and a badass she's also a mother she's also emotionally vulnerable and you can see how much she's influenced like sci-fi and horror going forward and like even video games like anybody that's played the mass effect series um if you play as a female shepherd in that game especially the second one like there's a lot of influence of ripley um and Sigourney Weaver as well is just like Sigourney Weaver's like Jamie Lee Curtis like she's so good to the community and like I, I remember like a couple of years ago seeing something this is a bit trivia but there was a, a school in the states that put on an alien musical and she went to go watch it which is so cute but it's like little stuff like that so yeah it, she's just she's timeless she's timeless and aliens is timeless like this is a two and a half hour film from the 80s so it's not exactly giving itself favors in that route but we still love it and yeah totally enjoyable experience so on that note we're gonna go on to another incredibly iconic Philo girl that's also incredibly underrated um gonna go on to hush now so Lindsay, take it away So the IMDb plot for Hush is as follows. A deaf and mute writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life must fight for her life in silence when a mass killer appears at her window. Hush came out in 2016, stars Katie Siegel, John Gallagher Jr. and Michael Truchot, was directed by Mike Flanagan and was written by Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel. 
Um, are you are you a Flana fan, Lucy? I am actually. I fucking loved. Um, right, I'm gonna get confused with the 1950 movie, but I'm just gonna say Hill House. So the Hill House TV series. Um, I also really liked Bly Manor as well. I haven't watched too much of um, Midnight Mass, but that's what I know Mike Flanagan from is the the Netflix series that he did. Um, I always forget that he directed this as well, but um, he's also with uh, Kate Siegel in this. Are they not together in real life as well? Yeah, um, apparently they came up with the idea of this film on a dinner date in 2014 and then they got married like a year or so later. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I know him from the like the Netflix and um, TV series. So I don't know much about his like film repertoire, but I thought Hill House, like like the showcasing of the five stages of grief through that and like and, and I'm not a fan of supernatural really, as I always fucking say, but it was fantastic. So um I'd seen that before I'd seen Hush, so I had pretty high expectations, but it was a really great film. Good. Um, yeah, I'm. I like Midnight Mass. I'm not a big fan of the Haunting of series. Um, which I, I always feel like I'm missing out on something because everyone's like, "Oh, they're so good. I'll watch it." Oh, yeah, I just I don't get it. Um, but I love this. I love Gerald's Game. Um, as well. Um, he's become quite the like Stephen King adapter um, of things because he also did Doctor Sleep as well. So it's it's just one of those guys. He's like someone to someone to watch in horror. He's always he's always doing something. He's always doing something exciting. Um, his current thing at the moment is trying to get his Netflix TV series um, onto DVD because so many people want behind the scenes and deleted scenes and all these like fun little extra bits you get when you buy stuff on DVD. But someone a bit of a tussle with Netflix over that at the moment. Oh. So we'll see what happens. I completely forgot he directed Dr. Sleep. I don't know how I forgot that. Um because I'm not a fan of that film, but like, yeah, and Ger- and uh, Gerald's game as well. Like, he, he is actually he's establishing himself like pretty fucking well in in horror. So it'll be interesting to see what his next film is if he does another Stephen King. Yeah, very much so. Because there is a bit of a Stephen King revival going on at the moment. Like, Firestarter is going to be coming out soon. Um, I think there's going to be like another Pet Cemetery or something as well. It's like very interesting. But anyway, uh, let's get into the plot of this film. So <clears throat> our protagonist, Maddie Young, um, is a deaf mute. We find out throughout the film that she lost her ability to hear and speak through contracting bacterial meningitis when she was younger. Um, we also learn in the beginning of this film that she is a writer Um we kind of see her um talking or like yeah I'm just gonna say talking sign sign language is language um so we see her talking to her um friend about all these many versions of her book and how she kind of processes um her writer brain and how she decides in which direction she's gonna she's gonna go in um she's just coming off the back of some recent critical acclaim with our book Midnight Mass um, 
and her friend is asking like how does she do it and then we get this insight where she says she plays all the possibilities in her head like a movie and takes it from there to see like which would be the best option for her characters uh is this something that you related to being a bit of a writer yourself yeah I would say so like I'm quite like a visual person so um I'm trying trying to write my first fiction novel um which I kind of been inspired by like Stranger Things and like Life is Strange like video games and like movies and like I'm not that you copy paste obviously but I like I'm the type of person that needs stuff to attach myself to and kind of see it in my head as like a film um so yeah like because fiction's re- I, like I don't think people realize how hard fiction is to write that's why I mainly do non-fiction because my my teeny tiny bee brain can't always come up with stuff like that so no I, I I do appreciate that can we also say how she's like living her best life like in this gorgeous house with this Persian cat called bitch which is just a 10 out of 10 name and just like living her writer life like that's that's goals to me <laughs> I know the house is stunning and they're all like oh is it not sad living out in the forest on your own no absolutely not it looks actually really peaceful no neighbors no noise I mean <laughs> you end up getting some scripts like you do in this film yeah but, I mean like as long as there's not sadistic killers out in the woods it's fucking great um so we meet her friend Sarah and like over the course of this like we do find out little bitties on how Maddie lives her life and you know we see like the the flashing light version of the fire alarm which will alert her to things and um, you know how she uses a lot of FaceTime and things like that and just little bitties that show us how she leads her life and then later on how these are going to help her when this person arrives um just to jump in there quickly I think like something that's quite good about this is um obviously because our main actress um Kate Siegel isn't deaf um we don't have a deaf actress playing the role which that would be an ideal situation to have you know we should have characters played by people that have those experiences but I feel like and I'm not deaf, I'm not hard of hearing, so I'm not speaking for anyone, but I feel like they did their research on this. I don't know, it feels like they actually made a bit of an effort into what it would be like to be a deaf person in the 21st century and like using things to your advantage. I don't know if you got the same kind of thing, but it's it seems like it is mm-hmm. done with like effort. Yeah, like it's hard to say, like I agree, I did do a bit of research to try and find out about that side of things but it was a bit limited because like you say it would have been great if there was an actual like hard of hearing deaf actor in this role um I think we've seen with um like A Quiet Place and Eternals and Coda which is like up for um loads of Oscars at the moment that having actual deaf people in roles for like deaf characters makes all the difference um you know when Sally Hawkins did the 
deaf character in A Shape of Water, a lot of people who use uh, American Sign Language were like, it looks like someone who's learned it and not someone who's lived it. And to like me and you who aren't deaf, don't use sign language, you're just like, oh, wow, look at her do the sign language. That's great. But when you actually live it, you you notice these things. Um, so yeah it's like a bit disappointing but we'll see later on that there was like a really small budget for this film so I don't know if that had something to do with it I also appreciate as well that Kate Siegel and Mike Flanagan like worked so closely together on this film they acted out every single scene in their own home so I also understand how they maybe wanted to like just keep it between them but it's a hard one yeah, it is. I just want to get your thoughts on that. But yeah, it's you can tell the collaboration process between them. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but it's worth bringing up. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so we learned that Sarah and her boyfriend live nearby. And this is important because later that night, Sarah runs back to Maddie's house and bangs on the window to try and get her attention because there is a masked killer chasing after her who eventually just stabs her to death up against this window. Um, What did we think of this first interaction with our killer? It's just, it's it's absolutely terrifying, isn't it? Just straight off the bat and just like home invasion films, I kind of said a little bit earlier, but I think like for, for me, I think home invasion is probably actually the scariest genre of horror because it can happen to anyone. And like if you live on your own or like if you're in a place on your own and you're starting to hear things, like I think anyone, well, and obviously in this in this film, we have... Um, a protagonist that's deaf that doesn't hear things and see things visually um, but I think you know for somebody to in, intrude in, that's not even a word but go into your personal space in your sanctuary that is your home like that and we don't know anything about this killer at this point you know it, it's not like a stalker ex or anything like that this is literally just somebody like out for out for blood um it's fucking terrifying and it's one of those films after I watched it as well I'm like I am locking the doors I am shutting the windows um so yeah I I find him like really really creepy yeah like during home invasion films I like gaslight myself and I'm like oh, I'm gonna check the locks but it's not because of the film like I just I can't remember <laughs> if I locked the door or not so I'm just gonna check and it's like there's only me there and it's like why wish I kid myself <laughs> <laughs> but it is so like it is so scary because I think it's that way like with this and the stranger strangers freak me out and um, there's no reason exactly. he's just doing it for shits and gigs and like that's terrifying like if there was some vendetta you could there's you know you can comprehend it a little bit but it's like no he's just doing this for bands and that's fucking scary um so after he kills sarah he realizes that maddie's deaf he was tapping on the window she's not getting any reaction and you know you see the cogs turning in his little 
fucked up brain and he's just like yes I've found my new plaything. Um, so when she's on her laptop he walks in takes her phone and like starts taking pictures of her and sends them to her which oh is so eerie and like oh just puts the shivers up me it's so fucking creepy um so once maddie realizes that there's someone in her house taking pictures of her she tries to call the police um on her laptop but he cuts the power and he also punctures her tires so there's no way for her to escape um when Maddie sees him, she writes, won't tell, didn't see a face, boyfriend coming home on the glass to try and scare him off. Um, and this made me sad as well. It's that whole thing, like, women always have to say that they have a boyfriend or, like, kind of have to use imaginary men as protection to try and get other men to leave them alone. And it's like, she shouldn't have to he shouldn't even be there in the first place and she shouldn't have to make up some other like scary man to try and scare this scary man away it's unfortunate but I think we've all been there yeah and and had to make up that excuse but um she deals with it pretty calmly to be honest to do that at that point because I don't know why I'd be I'd be screaming and running around absolutely terrified so she keeps her calm yeah she's like she's really like irrational at this yeah. point I think and I think she thinks she can rationalize with him as well like she probably thinks like oh he probably just wants to steal or something and um yeah maybe she can like scare him straight but um it does not work because he then takes his mask off revealing his face to her and like every time I see this I'm just like oh my god like you know shit's gonna go down after this because you know it wasn't his intention to like use the mask to scare her to be anonymous to scare her his intention is to completely fuck with her and he does not care that she knows who he is because he's got no intention of leaving her living at the end of this this is like probably the creepiest scene in this film for me because like even though the mask is scary and when we see people in masks it is scary the fact that he doesn't give a shit because he's like I don't care if you know who I am or you know my face because he's so confident that he's gonna get her Mm. that is terrifying like so unhinged so he learns that she can rip read lip read sorry and um he like taunts her with the threat that he is gonna break in to the house. Um, he later gets her friend's corpse and uses her lifeless hand to knock on the window again to scare her. Um, and it, it, that bit's really sad because I think Maddie thinks that she's alive and then she sees him holding her up and then realizes what's happened. And it's just so fucked. Oh, it's horrible absolutely heartbreaking um maddie remembers that sarah put her phone in her back pocket so um one of her first kind of escape ideas is to trigger her car alarm with her car keys so she can run out and grab sarah's phone but um she's caught and 
she can't grab it and she has to run back into the house again where he finds it and kind of taunts her with it again. In another escape attempt, Maddie tries to leave via a second story window, but he shoots her in the leg. He tries to like crawl up the side of the building. I think there's like vines or something. He crawls up the side of the building and she manages to knock him off um, and steal his weapon. I also find that bit really creepy as well because it's almost like he turns into Spider-Man. He's literally like, I am going to get in come hell or high water. Um, I don't know. I just find it absolutely terrifying. And like, she's like, she's put through the ringer in this. And even after being shot in the leg, she's still so rational about stuff and like quick thinking, not arsed about the pain. No, not at all. It's not really until like much later on in the film that we kind of see her leg really giving her any bother at all. But I think it's like the adrenaline, you know, that way, like once all that adrenaline is running through your body, you don't yeah. really feel pain anymore, do you? Um, so in the midst of all of this, um, Sarah's boyfriend, John, arrives at Maddie's house looking for Sarah uh, and the killer pretends to be a police officer who is responding to like a burglar alarm at Maddie's house. Um, but John is like very, very suspicious of this man. Um, like what what did we think of like John arriving at this point? I'm just so glad that he was suspicious because I swear to God, if he was just like, as we see a lot in horror, People will believe the police and the police are incompetent, all this, it's a running joke. But I'm still screaming at screaming at the screen, like, fucking get him, get him, get him. You know what I mean? But I'm glad that he's suspicious because I think he would be, especially because of their location being in the woods and stuff as well. Having the police in a burglary, it's quite unusual and somewhere so remote. You know what I mean? I'm not entirely sure what the rules are in the US, but I'm pretty sure like police officers in the UK anyway like aren't allowed to be by themselves it's like having another person there as a witness so if something goes wrong you know you have like evidence there you've got another person yeah that's true um so I think even just that would be like "Hmm, why are you here on your own that's very weird um yes John is suspicious of him um he says to the man like oh there's a spare key under a flower pot and he picks up this rock that he's gonna bash him over the head with hopefully um but maddie distracts john by banging on the window which gives the man um, like ample opportunity just to stab him in the neck which is so unfortunate because like Maddie's obviously in a very distressing situation she sees someone she knows hoping that they'll help her she's obviously not realizing that John is if he'd actually managed to like not come out with this this could have this could have ended everything but of course Maddie doesn't know what's going on and I think for me like this seems really sad because like she's already seen like her best friend's dead body and now she's seen this other person die and perhaps would be thinking like oh that's that's my fault yeah it's like she's in a she's quite literally in a glass prison and she's watching all of this go on around her and she can't do anything about it and it's so heartbreaking and it's so tragic as you said because like 
she, she didn't know though but if she just waited this could have all been resolved at that point hopefully if, if he'd managed to hit him across the head but it's just it's tragic and it's such a brutal way to go as well so yeah you you really sympathize with her because she literally can't do anything at that point so as john is bleeding to death he puts the killer in a chokehold and i think in his last moments he's like this this will help maddie escape but seeing all this happen maddie realizes that the the only way out of this is for the man to die I also love that he doesn't have a name kind of like you know yeah. in a girl walks home alone at night's the girl this is the man mm. you know what I mean it, it just adds to the terror because it could be anyone could be yeah. any man you know what I mean exactly um so Maddie's cat makes a, a reappearance um and he's threatening the cat with a knife but she shoots him with his crossbow Maddie not the cat uh and as Maddie retreats back into the house, the killer slams her wrist against the sliding door and, like, completely mangles it. So, like, obviously that scene is quite hard to watch because she's in a lot of pain. But there's a brief flicker here where she is just like, I'm done for. And that, like hurts my soul it's just the acting of of Kate Siegel in that moment you can see because she's been fighting for so long at this point and to see for that moment somebody being like I'm just gonna give up I've got no I've this is it for me it's so heartbreaking because you want her to go on um and if she wasn't in already agony from her leg you know getting your bloody hand crushed like that it was absolutely savage so he starts to threaten once again. He's like, I'm just going to come in your house. And then she uses the blood from her leg wound to right on the window, do it coward, and very much like goads him into coming into the house. And she has this total, in this such a, a like seconds, has this complete flip. And I feel like that's kind of realistic as well. I feel like sometimes in films, it's like they have to have like a, a, a good, like, moment like a good scene of being like oh all hope is lost but she goes from all hope is lost to no fuck this I'm gonna fuck you up and I love that because it feels a bit more realistic I feel like in these circumstances you have a lot more thoughts flying through your head in very quick succession like you don't have the time to like in a film have to you know, for the audience, show the sorrow and then show the change of heart. It's like it's happening instantly, but you get it straight away. Because like you say, Casey does such a good job acting in this film. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. Because like, if you were in this situation, you're not afforded the time to be like, oh no, here's my character arc. I'm so down in the dumps. I'm going to have this like revival and comeback fighting. Like, you don't have that luxury it is it does have to be a quick moment of I need to get up off my fucking arse and do the thing or I'm dead you know what I mean so no it does feel really realistic and I appreciate that about this film and um you're just cheering her on at that point when she's like come on do it you're like fuck yes like come on him 
So um, Mazzy writes a description of the man on her laptop and a message her family thinking, like, this is it, like, I'm going to go out fighting. Um, and then she locks herself in her bathroom with a knife. Um, so I guess this is, like, one part of the film where I'm like, I feel like she would have noticed this. Like, regardless of not being able to hear, I feel like she would have felt the killer crashing through the bathroom skylight. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Because, like, obviously I get deaf people can't hear, but they can, like, feel vibrations. And, you know, there's, like, debris and stuff as well. So this is, like, the one part in the film that I'm like, this is not very realistic. But I do love that him kind of, like, taunting her, like, and she's, like, completely unaware behind her back and it's when he lets out a scoff and it's the the breath that alerts her to him and he tries to stab her but she like swerves it and stabs him instead and yeah I love that it's so slick it's so smooth but yeah just just a bit before that I'm like mm, that's not very realistic is it the choreography in these scenes is done really well, though, I have oh, to say. Yeah. The fight scenes are really good. You can tell they practiced it a lot. Definitely. Um, so she stabs him in the knee. Ow, that will hurt. Um, and then he follows her to the kitchen where she sprays insecticide in his face and then uses her visual smoke alarm to disorient him. So I kind of love how she is using sensory overload to defeat him when she has doesn't have a sense yeah I did I actually never thought of it that way before but it's it, it's like it's ironic isn't it and like overloading him with what he has that way yeah um so he begins to strangle her and it looks like she's like gonna lose consciousness and then she grabs this corkscrew and then just shoves it right into his neck which is so satisfying because you do think there is no there's not going to be an end to this you feel like at one point they're just going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting so it's just relieving to like see it over especially because that strangulation scene is savage like really savage you think she's gonna go and it like I felt if they kept it going and going and going not that it gets tired but it's kind of exhausting as an audience and a viewer to watch that constantly so to see an end to it you're like I can breathe for a minute and then in the end she grabs her mobile from the man's body dials 999 and then 911 sorry not in the UK they're in the US and uh, and then she goes out onto the porch and she pets her cat and she smiles and that's that's the end of the film. Um, yeah. I love that the cat, I love that bitch lives to the end because if he stabbed that wee cat, I mean, he's a psychopath anyway, but I would have rioted. Oh my God, yeah. Oh, how terrible would that have been? But, um, so yeah, what do, we, what do we think of the end of the film? Like, how do we feel about Maddie's story? I really like it. Um, I feel like this, and 
not to say I'm an expert on home invasion films because I'm really not, but I think what I really like about this film, unlike things like you'd mentioned the stories, I was thinking of like Your Next, where like you have this subplot behind the character. The fact that we don't have that, like you said, it just makes him more terrifying because he's he is an absolute psychopath. Um and Maddie as a character, she is such a badass final girl. Um I feel like the plot for this is like quite simple, which is quite refreshing. Sometimes I feel like sometimes we'll complete. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it's a fairly simple plot, and I feel mm. like it's executed really, really well. Um, I really like the ending to this, and just sitting on her porch, like no fucker can get me. Like, I I love that. Obviously, she's gone through the tragedy of, lo- of losing her friends, but you know she's still standing strong. Um, you know, part of me is always like, I want more character arc and like, this isn't like a really long film either and we could have had more scenes, but I don't miss it here. I don't feel like this actually needs it, you know? No, like it's a really short film as well. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. The cast is tiny. There's only five characters in the whole film. You know, there's not even any background characters because we don't see the police or anything. There's just the five actors and that's it. Um. So it's like it's it's actually a really interesting film, like this short, tight, like character study of like Maddie versus the man. Um and I like I I really like that. Like <laughs> we kind of mentioned before about the thing from another world and it's fucking ten thousand characters that you can't keep track of. Whereas this, it's like I know everybody, I know everybody's name, I know what their motivations are, and it's just like say simple and easy as well. It's like it's quite the easy watch. I think this is really good for a sleepover as well as part of our you know our spooky sleepovers because I feel like it's it's easy for people like I said it's an easy watch mm. I feel like the plot's easy to follow you don't have loads of characters you're just you're really invested in Maddie you know you're invested in Sarah and um, John but like it's one of those films where you can watch with your friends but you could also speak at the same time and you can chat about it after you, you know what I mean um one thing I really like about this as well, because like, we get this in Home Invasion quite a bit, um, which we don't in this, is like there's no sexual connotations either. Like the man isn't after her in like a sexual way. You know what I mean? He's there just to to kill her. And it's never even hinted at. And I remember when I first watched this, I was I kept, it was in the back of my mind if it was ever going to be brought up and it never is. And that's just so refreshing. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's that way you can tell that there was a woman in the writing team that just kind of, like, I don't know, Mike Flanagan would have gone there anyway, but it's good to have women in the writing team to make sure that that shit does not happen. Yeah. Um. So Mike Flanagan kind of conceived of this idea because he really wanted to make a horror film, like, about silence. And, like, in its original iteration, like, this film had, like, it was just silent. It was just the noise of the like the characters walking around and like the ones that could talk talking and that was and that was it. But they ended up being a bit of ambient sound in the soundtrack. Um just kind of I feel like a completely silent film wouldn't work. Like films need music or like some kind of like background noise in them. 
Um, but I just think it's interesting that we have this and then two years later we get a quiet place and how much of a sensation the quiet a quiet place was um you know everybody was talking about like how it's basically a silent film um you know a lot of conversations around cinema etiquette um I remember going to see a quiet place at the cinema and I kept hearing my shoes squeak on the floor it was really embarrassing um (laughs) But just how how silence is a really great tool in horror, and I really feel like hush walked so that a quiet place could run. I know we've had other things like um, the Buffy episode that's in silence and stuff as well. Yeah, but, you know, there's only fifteen minutes of dialogue in this film, and it's like an eighty-two minute runtime or something. So there's like no, virtually no dialogue in this at all. No, that's true. This really did walk so quiet place could run I do like a quiet place but I actually prefer hush um like you say there's not much dialogue in this but I feel like you do need dialogue to some effect and in a film even silent films we still had musical orchestras in the, in the background of some kind of format um when they first had the opportunity to but it's interesting because silence isn't used that much in horror but silence is quite a scary thing like builds suspense builds tension but also like and especially I'm gonna sound like such a boomer right now but you know with in the age of like constant communications and constantly being on things and I'm a victim of it as well people are really uncomfortable in silence Mm. especially now and like I think we're all victims of it I'll have Netflix on and my phone on and my laptop on like there's always white noise so we are kind of, probably someone's white noise right now le- legit if you are we're calling you out right now <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean silence is something so many people are uncomfortable with it's a universal experience so I feel like it's something that could probably be used more in horror definitely like I do kind of love it like when we were talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre like a month or so ago and the first time you see Leatherface, there's like no music whatsoever. And it just comes and you expect the fanfare. But the fact that it's not there, I thought made it a lot more interesting. So there's definitely more ways that we can like play around with this. And then, of course, like after A Quiet Place, we ended up getting Bird Box, uh, which yeah. again played with another sense. Um, you can look at it or you would die. And... Um, so that it kind of like launched off this thing of like playing with the senses and horror. So yeah, I think it's interesting that we have this. And like I feel like it's definitely well, it is the first. This came out in 2016, Quiet Place came out in 2018, I think Bird Box is 2019. So it definitely came out before all of those. But this film's so underrated. Um but let's go into why it's so underrated. So this film um, did a screening at South by Southwest in 2016, in March 2016. So this that was like the only cinema release it got. And then around a month later, Netflix bought it up and it's had a very happy home on Netflix ever since. So this never got a cinema release. And I think that'll be part and parcel of why it is kind of underrated because it's just maybe you know you, you hit horror on on Netflix and it's like stuck down the bottom somewhere and it's not something maybe like the average person would have seen like the non-horror fan would have seen 
that's such a shame this didn't get a cinema release because this would have been so good in the cinema. I feel like if you had the right audience there, it'd been so yeah. suspenseful. And it's, I'm, I mean, oh, like, yeah. A Quiet Place was, was great fun at the cinema to watch. Um, you know, just hearing like every every single little sound, it did definitely like enhance your enjoyment of it. And it's like different at home because like when my sister watched it at home, she thought her TV was broken. So <laughs> it was very different watching a quiet place at home versus at cinema, whereas you only get the opportunity to watch this at home, which is a shame because it would do so well at the cinema. And it's that way as well. Like Mike Flanagan is big enough now that maybe like on an anniversary or something, he could just be like, you know what, I I want this to get cinema release now and just put it out at the cinema. I don't know. Maybe Netflix wouldn't allow that. But I was just thinking definitely be something there. I was just thinking how long it's been if they could do a five year, but they're past that now. But for a 10 year anniversary, they could put it out in a cinema and be released. Like that this deserves that. There's so much shite that gets put out in the big screen. You know? Um and it's the same with streaming services. I feel like this is the, even though it is, I think it's Netflix, right? Yeah. Um, it, I never saw or I never see it on like the Discovery page. And mm. there's loads of other older horror films that are. And it's kind of like, oh, this needs its moment to shine. You know, it's a bloody shame. Yeah. Like I only watched this because I saw like people in the horror community like talk about it. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this is. Like looked it up, seen it was on Netflix, gave it a watch. And, you know like totally loved it but yeah it's never on like you say the discovery page on Netflix um even though like it's been on Netflix since 2016 they might they might as well just call it Netflix original for fuck's sake but um oh well um so this film because it just went straight from like South by Southwest to Netflix we don't we don't have like gross figures for this but um this film cost one million dollars to make so very 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 low budget that is so low budget definitely but it's like there's a very small cast um i know at one point they were thinking because like i said before like Kate Siegel and Mike Flanagan kind of acted out the whole film in their own home. They would like act out parts of it as they were writing it, just to kind of get a feel for it and see if like what they were saying made sense and like if it felt like a natural thing to do. Um, so I think at one point it was the plan to film it in their actual house, but their house proved not to be very filmable. So they're it's partially filmed in a house in Alabama and then I think some of it is done in a sound stage as well. But I think it's a very good use of their money. Anyway, um, so let's get into ratings. So IMDb, I've rated this a 6.6 out of 10. That's criminal. I know. That is like, that's so low. It's, Yeah. I'm not happy with that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, the Rotten Tomatoes critics rated this a 93 and the audience rated it a 73. That's no bad. No bad there. And Metacritic rated it a 67. Metacritic's always a bit savage, I find. I know. Metacritic's just weird. <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't, know what, I don't even know why we're pulled from Metacritic. <laughs> um, 
so yeah a bit of a mixed bag there like the critics obviously loving it I feel like the fact that it plays around with it's like use of sound it's so silent that's something that critics love if it's done well and it is done well here um whereas I guess sometimes a film like this might not always translate but I don't know maybe it's just the the great unwashed on IMDb that don't like it (laughs) um so Lucy what do you rate Hush out of 10 I was gonna give it an eight but speaking through this film like and I'm not like a big fan of home invasion this is definitely my favorite home invasion film I've watched so far there really isn't that much I can gripe about it so I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten this is a great film like the plot is simple and straightforward it's easy to follow we have a great final girl we have the representation of someone who is deaf uh, which we don't get nearly enough of um you know the the disabled community as we mentioned I don't know 100% the accuracy but it seems like there is some accuracy in this um the using of the senses and just like having a villain and a killer that you know nothing about we don't need to have it shows that we don't need to have this massive backstory and this is coming from the backstory bitch that <laughs> loves a complicated film um I I love this and I think it's a great film to watch with your friends it's so underrated so if you've not seen it like as we said it's only an hour and 20 give it a shot and if you like it tell other people about it because more people need to see this film yeah absolutely um, I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten. Um, just very much like agreeing with what you said there, Lucy. Like, I think this is a criminally underrated film. I think more people definitely need to watch it. Maddie is such an underrated final girl. Like, I never see her getting talked about, and she's just as smart and vulnerable and pretty as all these other final girls so she should definitely be talked about and definitely be up there as well um so that's that's today's episode that's our last episode of our women in horror month as well happy women in horror month babes yay um lucy what are we going to be chatting about next week Next week, which I think you're pretty excited for, we are doing found footage frights. We will be joined by the wonderful uh, Nina, aka Nina the Book Slayer, who's the resident book reviewer of Hear a Scream. Absolutely adore her. If you're not following her yet, you really need to because her book reviews are amazing. Um, but yeah, we're going to be covering Grave Encounters and Creep, two films I've never seen before. Um, and I know you're buzzing to talk about Creep. <laughs> Your face oh my says God, it all. I'm so excited. I love Creep so much. Like, oh, such a good film. I can't wait for you to watch it. It's just, I I just, oh, I can't even describe it. It's like, <laughs> I'm saying like, it's like, oh, the greatest film in the entire world. It's not, but it's just, there's something about this film. There's, it's so uneasy and unsettling. It's just like nothing you've ever seen before. And I, I really enjoy it. Oh, I'm excited. Um, so yeah, like Lucy said, we'll be back next week with found footage for rights. Um, Lucy, where can people find you online? You want to find me on the socials? You can follow me Twitter, Twitch, all the socials. It's Lulu underscore or Lulu dot pew. 
Uh, and I am at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. We are at girlfriend underscore pod on Twitter and girlfriend's podcast on Instagram. Have I got that right? Girlfriend's okay. underscore. Then I forget the underscore there. Girlfriend's <laughs> underscore podcast. I've never got that wrong before. And no, you have I said it. I was like, <laughs> that's not right. So we're girlfriend's underscore podcast on Instagram. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday with Found Footage Frights. And until then, stay spooky.